God already spoke through the Torah that you should practice gleaning. And now Ruth and Naomi's needs are being provided through gleaning. Isn't that God, even if God's not mentioned here? Right. Well, this is that thing of like holding if everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, it could be dicey. (laughs) But if it's true, if what's good in your eyes is following the Torah, then people are going to encounter the divine through your actions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Searching the Sacred. This is episode six of our first part covering the book of Ruth. We are going to do another season on the book of Ruth covering chapters three and four. This season we've covered chapters one and two, and this episode six concludes chapter two. We're excited that you've been on this journey with us. I know that many of you have heard our little advertisement for Patreon and the discussion guide, but if anyone is coming to this podcast for the first time and are wondering what is going on with this series on Ruth, we also have a discussion guide that is available to you if you become a patron of this podcast by going to patreon.com, search Searching the Sacred, and then for a dollar a month or more, you will get a discussion guide that can further the conversation with friends, uh, loved ones, people in your community that you want to dialogue with. We are excited to go on this journey with you and to wrap up chapter two. Let's jump into the podcast. Lisa's going to be reading some verses for us. So I am going to read our next little section, which is still chapter two, uh, verses four through nine. And look, Boaz was coming from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said, may the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his lad who was stationed over the reapers, who is this young woman? And the lad stationed over the reapers answered and said, she is a young Moabite woman who has come back with Naomi from the plains of Moab. And she said, let me glean, pray and gather from among the sheaves behind the reapers. And she has come and stood since the morning till now. She has barely stayed in the house. And Boaz said to Ruth, have you not heard my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field and also do not pass on from here. And so shall you cling to my young women. Your eyes be on the field in which they reap and go after them. Have I not charged the lads not to touch you? Should you be thirsty, you shall go to the pitch pitchers and drink from what the lads draw from the well. So now we get to see Boaz in action. We have heard about him, but now we actually get to see what he's doing. So um, I wonder what we see in what he's doing. Partly, maybe I'll ask this for first. If he is the owner and he has people who are his reapers, what could he do or not do, as it were? Like leading question. He could send for them. Okay. He doesn't have to be coming out to his field at all. If he has, if he is wealthy and this is his land and he has reapers who are, who are harvesting his land, he could just be a rich landowner staying in a rich house separate from the people who are working his field. So the first thing that we see is Boaz is a person who goes onto his field and checks in. Now we can ask what kind of check-in could you do if you're Boaz? What could it mean for you as the landowner to go check in on your field? I mean, I would imagine you could ask them questions about 
how much, what percentage are you getting? Are you leaving any behind? Um, you know, make sure they don't drop anything, get closer to the edge. I mean, you could, you know, you could encourage a less generous practice if you wanted. Okay, so we get to see like what is important to Boaz as he goes out and visit, visit his, visits his field because he could be visiting for the sake of micromanaging <laughs> or like make sure you go like or profit margin checking or right. You could do all of these things. But what does he do when he arrives on the field? Yes, who this person is that he doesn't recognize. Even before that. Oh, the Lord be with you, he says. He blesses the reapers and the reapers bless him. Yeah. So he says to them, the Lord, the living presence, that personal name of God that is a part of the Hebrew scriptures, the living presence with you. And they answer the living presence bless you. What might even just seeing that tell us about Boaz, his workers, his character? Well, I think it gets to that value thing again. Like, does he see himself as more valuable than them? Or does he see them as operating in this, you know, more um, equitable, you know, dynamic? They obviously have like a decent rapport. Like there's, um, there, it feels like they know each other. Mm-hmm. um but this is like this is their this feels more like a ritual like to have like somebody bless you and that like it feels like you, you know the lord be with you also with you like that because because we do it as a part of our ritual it becomes very natural so it feels like this is probably part of their ritual they've known each other for a long time but they also like they give him the details like they're paying attention like they're caring for his field more than just like working his field. Like they're paying attention. Like, oh, her? We know who she is. Here's what she even said. Which even, and it also, that also means who um, Boaz says to the servant in charge, who is that girl, which means what? He's paying attention. He's paying attention. He knows he has come to this field often enough that he knows who is usually here. And he spots the stranger. And when he spots the stranger, he asks about the stranger. All of that is setting a context for what Boaz is like. The fact that this greeting seems so familiar. They're not surprised that Boaz is there. They seem to greet each other warmly. The fact that he asks about who this strange woman is that he hasn't seen before. And the fact that a servant's able to answer the question because he's also been paying attention to who's there there's actually sort of a stage being set for what it's like on Boaz's field through all of these interactions that they're having. In short, yeah, you know, I, I, I can't help but think when we talk about like his relationship to the people, the reapers and, and the, the familiarity that they seem to have, the, the kindness that they seem to be showing each other. Um, I think there's like a narrative out there that like any hierarchy is a bad hierarchy. Any authority is a bad authority. And if we were all just had equal standing and, and, and like, and I think when it comes to dignity and worth and, and val- like that, yeah, hundred percent, but like some people are really good at seeing the 
the the big picture and organizing and creating you know order out of chaos and some people find joy in you know getting their hands dirty and and like doing doing like the work and so i mean it's just different you know things and i think if we don't apply value to like one thing is more valuable than the other but that both can work in harmony with each other then i i think that's how things should work like i you know there's people that i've worked for i've been around and like i've never i i haven't thought for one second like Oh man, when I when when I am in their position or I should be in their position, it's like no, I just want to like follow. Like I want to just work for like because I'm being treated as such a valuable member of the team that yeah, I'm not carrying that level of responsibility, but I don't want to. I want to do this work alongside them, and 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 I feel like they're saying to me, you know, the Lord be with you, and I'm saying yeah, and you too. Like let's we're doing this thing together. I think that's a, a really beautiful, like, synergy and harmony. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it's sort of a thing we can keep wrestling with in, in, in scripture and in life is like, when, when is hierarchy bad? When is hierarchy good? When is, yeah. when are different roles helpful? When are they not helpful? And, and it might be something that we don't have to all land in the same place about, but Correct. here is at least opening us up to say, it seems to be a positive relationship that seems like Boaz is a good leader. He's a good landowner and the servant seems happy to work for him. And so maybe there is something in this particular relationship and hierarchy that is, that is working out that, that they're each doing the role that they want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's working. Yeah. And it might be helpful to also, I keep using the word servant, but Lisa, your translation didn't say servant. Servant, what did Alter say? Uh, he just called the reapers. And the one in charge in verse six? Uh, verse six is stationed over the reapers. The, the lad. The lad. So it's worth pointing out, even as we're having this conversation, that it's not slave. Like when I use the word servant, this is not the word slave, because that's a whole nother ballgame if somebody is enslaved to somebody else. This is, a, it's not, it's the word lad, <laughs> uh, which seems to be something more like, it's how Joseph, Joshua is referred to in relation to Mo, Moses, actually, is similar language. Well, Alter says that it's a Hebrew na- noun, na'ar. Um, it does designate a young man, but it's often extended. Uh, and it can extend to refer to anyone in a position of subservience. Um, but there's Boaz's overseer of the reapers is surely not a stripling. <laughs> it may well be a man of mature years. <laughs> A stripling what is a stripling we're pulling all sorts of interesting words alter <laughs> likes to be smart <laughs> but like fair enough he's might not be a young strapping lad uh maybe he is whatever like what we think of when we hear the word lad may not be that yes but it's not it's not the word eved so when when we talked about deuteronomy before remember you were slaves in egypt it's not that word so whatever whatever alter means there it's the idea that this is somebody in a subservient position but that's not necessarily an enslaved position that's not a not by choice position necessarily it's a it's a it's a hierarchical difference in it's, how, it's how any of us who have an employer are yes 
we should start calling ourselves the lad of our employer. <laughs> See how that goes. <laughs> As the pastor of this church, I will not be calling anybody here a lad. <laughs> probably wouldn't go over well. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> So the lad in charge of the reapers, <laughs> um, let's look at verse six and hear how he answers uh, Boaz's question. I love verse six because it brings us back to the conversation we had at the end of chapter one. What's the first thing he wants to make very clear about this woman girl? Oh, she's from Moab. <laughs> Moabite. She's the Moabite girl who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Let's, re let's repeat Moab. She's from Moab. She's, she's Moabite. She's Moabite. Don't forget she's wait, Moabite. What, wait, where is she from? I'm so confused now. <laughs> Moabite. She's a Moab from she's a Moabite from Moab. It makes me wonder how often a stranger actually partakes in this process. Mm. Mm. Right? Like, yeah. Like maybe it's actually quite rare for them to have someone come onto the field that is not an Israelite. For a plethora of reasons. Mm -hmm. And what is it? So he's, and, and as she's playing that role of I'm a foreigner, and maybe they even haven't seen many foreign strangers doing this practice, or maybe even not that many female foreign strangers, maybe not that many people from Moab. What does the, what does the servant notice about her in verse seven? Well, she, she asked essentially, like she asked to do the gleaning. And then she's like, she's been busy. She's, she's been on her feet all day. She has not taken a break. And I wonder if that's sort of blowing his expectations up of like, oh, maybe a Moabite would come on the land. <laughs> but now what he's emphasizing, she asked to glean and she has been working super hard all day. He's noticing all these things simultaneously. She's a Moabite. She's the one who asked if she could come on and glean and she has been on her feet all day working hard. Yeah, oh, and also and she's, she's caring for Naomi. He mentioned that as a part of it too. And she's also like, it's not that she just asked to, like she's in particular said, let me gather from among the sheaves behind the reapers. Like she also knows the process. It's not like, hey, can you give me food? Mm -hmm. Like she's like, there's a way that com communicating that she... She knows, she understands what this is. I don't, like, it just feels like that was probably striking. They were probably not expecting that from a Moabite woman. You know, we, we, we I think maybe rightfully have had fun with the idea that she's been called a Moabite over and over and over. Um, I, I, I wonder if like, and I, I don't know anything about this, but from like an ethnic perspective how much characteristic difference there is between an israelite and a moabite if they were to be standing side by side like would you be able to distinguish like a really clear difference between those people now maybe i don't know the history so maybe it's like well yeah obviously jason there is maybe there isn't and maybe it's like oh who's this young one? Oh, she's actually a moabite oh has she been with us for a really long time like generations or no she came right from moab with naomi so like maybe it's less an emphasis on how you know like moabite 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 but maybe it's like oh yeah she's actually a moabite and 
she like hasn't been here for a while. She just came with Naomi. Um, and maybe that's like fairly unique um, to that situation. Like maybe, you know, why would a Moab, why would a Moabite woman be here when there's no famine? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I know that they. Right. I'm just spitballing. Yeah. One of the things that came to mind as you were talking is that it would have been before race as a social construct was invented. Um, and so I don't know how that affected in general, how people viewed each other would be quite like, it's hard to step into a time period that's before race as a social construct. (laughs) And I don't know how that affected how people viewed each other because I'm so inside of a culture and system that views race as a part of things that I don't know how that would have been defining as compared to something about how like clothing choices might've been defining of what of people groups practices were defining of people groups. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And in some ways, Boaz's first question, whose is this young woman keys us into like Mm -hmm. what he's asking. It's like, like who, like there's an assumption that she belongs to someone probably a male right like who's whose is this um like settles us into a little bit of like it's less about even knowing like the yeah the question isn't immediately like who she is it is who's yeah we skipped over that whose damsel is this is one of my translations of that. <laughs> oh jeez and I will not be reading that translation in church. <laughs> well, she she's I don't know. I don't know. She shows up as a damsel. She kind of she works her tail off. So does work her tail off. But the, his question, so the word that he's asking or that's getting translated as damsel in mine, is um is naara. So it's actually sort of in contrast to the term for this lad, but it's female. So whose young woman is this? Whose whose girl is this? Whose maiden is this? None of those translations are really helping us out at all. So that could either indicate age or it could indicate sort of that same inferiority social standing as this, as is true with the servant that he's talking to is it's clear to him that this isn't a woman of the same social standing as he is. And so he's referring to her as a damsel. Maiden. Well, and he's probably wondering, like, I mean, you get to a certain age as a young woman and you're not expected to be single and operating in society. So you're either probably sent there by your father or you're sent there by your husband. Like you're not just, you know, on your own, you know, feeding, feeding yourself, living in an apartment, like you're, you're, you know, you're in a family somewhere. And so somebody thought it would be a good idea for you to go here. And I think that's the cool part about what you read earlier from that, that one author, that they were the ones taking the initiative. They weren't sent by Elimelech. They weren't sent by the two sons. They took the initiative. They stepped out to do this. It was Ruth who was bold, knew the practices. And even when the whole entire culture would have thought she got sent by a man, she went there of her own, you know, her own force to take control of her narrative. Yes, I'm a feminist. (laughs) 
Well, and that's going to keep, we're going to keep seeing that in here of how, how might other people assume like all these expectations are being blown up in different ways. So like Boaz's assumption, though, he's a good guy. We've talked about the fact that he's a good guy is, oh, she must've been, she must belong to someone. And then the servant's like, well, she's from Moab. She came with me, Naomi, but she, he doesn't actually answer Boaz's question because he can't, there isn't, doesn't seem to be someone that she belongs to. She's just doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. And that's what she's doing. Well, and there's probably been, I mean, if, I mean, we know that he is a kinsman, which means he's related to Naomi's family. He clearly would probably know the story of Elimelech. Like he would know that they left, that Naomi is back. And since she's already said, call me Mara and told her story to the women, I'm guessing Boaz has heard Naomi's story. So in some ways, like just saying like she's with Naomi probably clues in some things. And that actually verse 11 sort of indicates that. So we didn't read verse 11, but Boaz tells her, tells Ruth, I have been told of all that you did for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you had not known before. Like he, he's giving her credit for, for that leaving that we talked about in chapter one as being this really gracious and virtuous thing and he says to her in verse 12 may the lord reward your deeds i mean the verse 12 is really quite lovely blessing that he's giving to her about like well wouldn't that be nice if that's how we greeted people who immigrated immigrated to the u.s (laughs) amen (laughs) like seriously may the living presence reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the living presence the god of israel under whose wings you have come for refuge okay you could read that as a little oppressor-ish right you're forcing someone from a different culture and background to like be blessed by a god they may not ascribe to also it could be read as like the most kind-hearted thing imaginable and like the biggest welcome sign you could put up, like the living presence is with you and you're here and we're so glad. The, um, the word for um, my translation says recompense in verse 12 um, or uh, the word is shalom, which is the verb at the root of shalom, which we've talked about before. So shalom is to make shalom is to make whole or complete what has been broken, which we had a whole podcast talking about. Um, Jer- I think it was in the Jeremiah thirty-one where we were talking about shalom broadening out shalom to kind of be that idea of making whole what was broken, making complete what had been taken turned apart. So may the living presence shalom make whole or complete your work. Um, and shalom, he, so it's used twice, and a full or complete, and then it's the word reward or wages, make whole your wages um, given to you um, from that living presence. Um, there's just a lot there. There's a lot of wholeness being wished for um, without requiring. Yeah, I don't know. My 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 little Bible note here, um, the commentary here says that this verse 12 summarizes the message of the book. 
of Ruth in the commentator's mind that wrote that, that that blessing of Boaz to Ruth summarizes the message of the book, that that like finding refuge in the wings of the living presence will bring you wholeness. I don't know if I agree that that summarizes the message of the book, though. I want to say that I want to like say mm, that's one commentator. I think the message of the book has a lot more to do with human action. Yeah, and, and up until this point, I would say the 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 message of the book is hopefully less something that Boaz says and more an action of Ruth mm -hmm. and Naomi. Which maybe that's a good time to note that any study Bible commentators are have opinions. You can read it, you can value it, but it's that person's midrash on the text. It is not the only option. So you can read that. I just read that out loud and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then you can be like, but I don't agree. And you, even if that person's a scholar and you're not, you can say, I don't like that interpretation. <laughs> this person's a scholar. I'm not, I don't like that interpretation. And I'm going to say that out loud. I like this blessing. I think it's a really good blessing. I think it tells us a lot. And I don't think it summarizes the book. I mean, I would almost say that verse two, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find grace. I mean, that to me is the, the action of, of this story that is so dynamic. Hmm. There's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be like, but you're not giving credit to the kinsman redeemer, which is the whole point of this book. And you're missing well, it. Yeah. But what's the book named? Is this, is this book called Boaz? No. I mean, I mean she's one of like what five women to have her name in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. I mean, it's not by accident. Mm -hmm. Lisa, what were you going to say? Well, I think it's that thing of like, it is worth paying attention to Boaz because we center ourselves into the Boaz's position. Mm -hmm. So it's worth, it's like, so if we are the Boaz's in our imagination, then we should be really paying attention to what Boaz is doing, i.e. Mm -hmm. how he welcomes somebody. Yeah. And I like, I love going into like verse 14, where then he's like, not only does he do this beautiful blessing, and then he's like, how about some food? Come eat with me. Come eat. Like I. Yeah. Yeah. There's. We don't need. We don't need to slam Boaz to prop up Ruth. No. And Ruth doesn't need our propping up either. Like I, I want to be really no. clear no. as a, as a male. I don't need to be, like, championing Ruth because she needs it. No, her hard work, and she has done all the hard stuff. Boaz has had to greet her, give her a blessing and offer her a meal. She has like, again, to recognize who, like what is ours to do is actually the easy part because we have so much. Amen. And I, after the meal, he does more again, he has so much. And so he keeps taking it to a next, if we're going to, if we are going to model ourselves, if we're, if we're people of privilege and we're going to model ourselves after Boaz, he starts by, he starts by having a field and he harvests that field according to the Torah by leaving those edges open and the gleanings dropped. 
He goes out to that field and has a relationship with the reapers. He sees the people gleaning it. He blesses, he greets them and they have a good relationship. He sees Ruth, he, he greets and blesses Ruth. He invites Ruth to come to his table. And then in verse 15, he tells the reapers not only to let her glean among the sheaves, but also pull some stalks out of the heaps and leave them for her to glean. Like drop extra. What is that? Why have why add that part in? What is he doing? It feels like it's like more than a tithe. <laughs> like oh. like it's the rule <laughs> and then a little bit more. Like he's just like it's like it's not about following the rule exactly. It's not about checking boxes. I Jason, your reaction to that, you like backed up from the computer and laughed. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's just Lisa's got this nice little subtle way of like, like poking the bear. Just it's more than a tithe. Yeah. Okay, so Boaz in this whole week, and this is like another act we see where he's not just following the letter of the law. It would have been enough for him to leave those edges of his field open and stay home. But he doesn't stay home. He visits his field. He doesn't just visit his fields. He greets the workers. He doesn't just greet the workers. He notices the person who is the most vulnerable. He doesn't just notice the person who's most vulnerable. He blesses that person and invites that person to eat with him. He doesn't just invite that person to eat with him. He then says, give that person a little bit extra. It keeps expanding out beyond a checkbox. What does that say about Boaz? Well, that's how you get Hail. Oh. That's where it started. That's that's how you get that label. Okay, can I just be really cynical for a moment? Sure. <laughs> I, I feel really bad saying this because of what you just said being so perfect. And I it's so perfect, Lisa. That's how you get high yield. A thousand percent. My mind also went, that's all that's also how you get a cute young mobile wife. <laughs> but, but but like also, okay, yes. It I guess also like I feel like the story, okay, as presented in my lifetime, like this is the story of courtship, right? Like mm -hmm. this is just the story about getting a wife and a husband. And but what I but what is true up until this moment, that's not like, we haven't talked about that yet. All we've right. talked about is survival. You're right. Like, and, right. Yeah. I, I mean, so. it's a hundred percent presented like that. It has been like that history, like that lingers, like find yourself a Boaz. Okay. And I'm being cynical because it was more humorous and there is a narrative out there that is telling that story like you're saying. Here's what I would say to myself. If if Boaz wanted a cute young Moabite wife, he doesn't have to be this nice. That's true too. He doesn't. He can just say, you know what? I'm kind of mostly related to you and responsible for your livelihood. You get to be my wife now. Let's make sure that the next in line is okay with it. And then let's move on. Like, you don't need to like me. You don't need to want me. You don't need to think I'm full of grace. 
you don't need to care. This is what I want because this is what the patriarchy says I can do. These are the laws. But that's not what we see in Boaz. So, yes, I was being cynical and ridiculous, but I would, yes. I think what you're pointing out is but way I think, more accurate. I'm glad you came in with the cynical though, because people yeah. might be listening and thinking about that. Exactly. And so yep. for us to start, to start picking at that and poking at that and saying, nobody at this point is looking for a partner. All, Bo- all Boaz is being a good human who is doing what is good and right in his eyes, which is following the Torah not by the letter of the law, by but by expanding it in acts of love and grace and blessing. Ruth is a foreigner trying to survive and care for her mother-in-law at the same time and working really hard to do that. Yeah. And, well, and his workers are also like, I mean, they take what he says and do, they like do it. Because when it talks about like in verse 17, that again, she gleans in the field until evening and then she beats out what she gleaned and it came to almost an effa of barley, which my notes that I wrote in, I don't know how I figured this out. I probably Googled it. It was like 29 pounds of winnowed barley. Like that's a lot of barley to beat out. Like that, the 29 pounds is not, that's not small labor. That's not enough to just feed you for a day. That's more than. Well, no, it says, and then she, when she, she picked it up and came into town and her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. So there's like plenty. Yes. It's two. My, my note says two thirds of a bushel. If that helps. So if you know what a bushel Bushel. is. (laughs) Only from my apple picking days. (laughs) (laughs) Which to have that much after you've separated out the kernels, like that's a lot. You got to, again, like then double that or more for how much she actually gathered if that's what is, um, what is beat out from it. Cause that's then the kernel inside those grains. So she's, it's a lot of foods that she's gathered in one day. I think it's interesting that the, that, that it ends like, so Boaz does all this stuff. Naomi's like really impressed. Like this whole thing is like happening and it feels like it kind of like it's been happening and like really fast. And like, it's this really, we move into this thing where all the, like it talks about that she clung to Boaz's young women to glean till the barley harvest and wheat harvest were finished. And she stayed with her mother-in-law. Mm. It's like the women of the story are just continuing to do the work. Like that's how chapter two wraps up is like the women working. Partly what that does for us is that helps us keep following the timeline of like, if we are Naomi and we are Ruth and we have experienced all of this tragedy and we have come back to Bethlehem, we tend to want an immediate rescue by the Lord. Like that's what we think rescue looks like. I want all, and I want, I want you. I'm back now. Like, reward me, bring me peace, and to notice, a, it's not that fast. It's taking a whole season of harvest and of working and of gleaning before we get to chapter three, and it's also not just divine intervention. It is 
actually what's being emphasized is all of the human labor associated with that kindness being shown. And that Naomi also says, blessed be the Lord who has not failed to show his chesed. We've talked about that word chesed. She is seeing the act of Boaz as chesed. She is seeing the acts of of Ruth as chesed because that word chesed is the way that we love one another, the way we care for one another is ultimately the way that God shows God's care and love to us. Rescue does not look like something being dropped from heaven. Rescue, redemption, and wholeness and peace looks like neighbor loving neighbor, neighbor loving stranger as ourselves and practicing these ways of giving and living open-handed to show that chesed to whoever is on our field and seeing what God does with that. Well, everybody, that wraps up this season of Searching the Sacred, where we've been covering the book of Ruth, chapters 1 and 2. As I mentioned before, we're going to be coming back with a new season. It will start in late January for all those that will be looking into your podcast feeds for when this new season will drop. It will start in late January, and we will be covering chapters 3 and 4 of the Book of Ruth. We will also continue the discussion guides for those who have been utilizing them and becoming patrons of this podcast. And then finally, as a little bonus, every once in a while we keep the recording going after we seemingly wrap up, and usually there's some humor and some hijinks or something that happens and so I decided that for all of you that are still listening keep listening because you're going to hear a little back and forth between the three of us as we wrapped up this season of Searching the Sacred. Hope you're having a good one. We appreciate you being with us on this journey and we will see you again soon. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Just wrap it up. A little burrito. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Lisa, you kill me. Lisa doesn't always like a wrap up. I mean, it functions well for a podcast, but studies sometimes get overly wrapped up. Yeah, I'll take it. That was too funny. (laughs) (laughs) It was a a lovely wrap up, Steph. It's impressive. Oh, you you teed it up. You teed it up. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was a good combo wrap up. I like. I mean, we'll cut out that little piece of and the men were working too. I assume. <laughs> we'll cut that out, and it'll be this nice little. It began with the women. It ends with the women working hard, and the women are crushing it. And then Steph did her little send off, and now we are ready to record for another eight hours.